Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 205. My name is Terry Frost and as Hugh Massa-Kayla plays us in, welcome to the second episode of Crazy Movie Month. And I'm looking at a couple of driving classics from the 1970s and classics is in inverted commas there. The first one is a gay biker movie, believe it or not, from 1972, Pink Angel starring John Alderson. And then we go up to 1977 for a remake of a hardcore French movie called Pussy Talk. And that movie is Chatterbox, starring Candice Rialsen. Neither of them is going to win any awards ever, but they're a bit of fun and they are a part of movie history. So I thought I'd give them a go and put them into the crazy movie month of January 2017 here at Paleo Cinema Podcast. So sit back. I'll get the contact details happening, and then we'll talk drive-in weirdness together. Paleo Cinema Podcast appears every two weeks. It's a podcast of classic movie appreciation. The only rule we have is that the movies have to be more than 20 years old. Uh, Feedback's important to podcasters, so if you'd like to leave reviews on iTunes, they'd be very welcome. You can also send voicemails or emails to feedbackpaleo at gmail.com, or go to the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can even friend me up on Facebook as long as you're nice and civil and don't spit on the carpet. Just be aware that the podcast does have adult themes at times, so just be aware of that. Uh, Anyway, I'll get on with the show now, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Hasn't it been a strange week? Um, Donald Trump became president, of course, which some people seem to enjoy for reasons that elude me. And here in Melbourne, we had a bit of a tragedy where a mentally ill guy ploughed a car into a crowd of people in one of our main shopping malls killing five at this stage and injuring a a lot of others in fact uh, a friend of mine his six-year-old kid was there at the time and i've already sent out my um best wishes to the family because it's a hell of a thing for a kid to see and um yeah so that kind of stuff hits directly when it's local and uh people have had some profound reactions to it a lot of people of getting out the pitchforks and torches, of course. And when you have pitchforks and torches, everything looks like Boris Karloff in Jack Pierce makeup. But um, the, the takeaway from that one is, of course, mentally ill people need to be monitored and, and need more assistance than most of our societies are giving them at the moment. Speaking of which, yeah, Donald Trump. Um, I'm not going to go on a Donald Trump rant this time around, except to say... With deep sincerity and with great respect to the people who voted for him, what the fuck? That's it. That's all I'm saying. Um, A couple of other things have happened. I have a new podcasting computer. I've got a really nice all-in-one, which has got three terabytes of hard drive. It's got a fast processor. It's got a lot of RAM, which means that the post-production work that I do on the podcast is going to go quite a lot faster because the old machine I had had a very kind of old donk in it not a lot of ram and um the post-production which is when i you know get all the levels right and do a little bit of editing not too much but a little bit um this will run a lot smoother and it also has an enormous screen the screen's about the size of a bed sheet and um, i'm still getting used to looking at it i've got a, a dual screen so i've got a slightly smaller screen off to my right 
and I've got a wireless keyboard now. I've got all of those kind of little bells and whistles and wonderful things that just make podcasting a little bit easier. And one of the other things I'm going to do with this is I've got this project. Um, tell me if you think it's a fucked up idea. Please do. But I'm going to play clips from every episode, from the movies covered in every episode of Paleo Cinema Podcast. I've actually grabbed the movie clips for the first 20 episodes, and there's a lot of them because you know, two movies an episode, 205 episodes, you can crunch the numbers on that. But what I'm going to do is put it up on YouTube just saying, uh, here's my podcast, and this is the movies I covered in the first 20 episodes, the second 20 episodes, blah, 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 and um, put together a little bit of a, a video thing there with the logo and the website as a part of it. Now, that's going to be a fairly long-term project because I found out yesterday that editing video is a lot more difficult than editing audio. So it's going to be something I do sometimes and just kind of get the little bits and pieces done for it. It'll, it'll get there, and I'll post the link when it does. Just a little bit of promo thing that uh, I can do. And also, one of the other things is it directs people to cool movies, even if they never listen to the podcast. If I play a little bit from the trailer of each one of the movies that I cover for the podcast, as much as I humanly can, then I'm finding another means by which to direct people towards cool films. And that's what this podcast is all about. So what have I been watching? Um, again, I'm still addicted to YouTube videos. I can't help it. I am. I uh, watched a bit of news coverage of recent events, as previously mentioned that I'm not going to do a rant about. But uh, movies, let's have a look at movies. I did a Eurospy movie, which I'm kind of getting set up for the Eurospy month later in the year for the podcast. So I watched um, Agent 077 Mission Bloody Mary, which stars Ken Clark as Dick Malloy, who's a kind of James Bond wannabe, but except taller and blonde and with a hairy back. Uh, yeah, it's a standard Eurospy movie. It's got some interesting moments and little bits of business in it, but it's at the lower end of the things. Um, Ken Clark did about four or five of these things, and they're, they're a little bit of fun, so I just thought I'd indulge in that. Then I went to Disney. Now, I'm not a big Disney fan, as you might know, but I went back to classic Disney, 1955, in fact, to watch 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea which, uh, of course, stars Kirk Douglas and James Mason um, and Peter Lorre, of course. And it kind of held up well, except for one thing. It's such a sausage party. The only women you see in it are two women that Kirk Douglas walks down the street with at the start of the movie when he's drunk. But uh, you do get Kirk Douglas singing and wiggling his ass. He does a really interesting ass wiggle during... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. So if anybody's that way inclined, check out Kirk Douglas's ass wiggle in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. You will be well rewarded. Um, and by the way, happy birthday to Kirk Douglas for his 100th birthday the other day. I was a bit surprised watching it that the special effects hold up as well as they do. Of course, Disney was state-of-the-art at the time as far as these effects were concerned. And their, um, you know, the technology and the reprojection, their mat lines were very small around anything that was um, done using matte paint. And the matte paintings, by the way, were fantastic as well. If you just watch the movie for the matte paintings, and it, uh, I know a number of people who are big fans of a decent matte painting, then 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea does a really nice job of it. Uh, I also watched a movie from a year or two ago called The Resort with a Z, which is basically Jurassic Park mixed with a zombie movie. 
Uh, the only person of any note who's in it is Doug Ray Scott. And it's basically a bunch of people go to a resort after a zombie breakout and everything's been settled. There's a resort off the coast of Africa where you can go and shoot zombies. Of course, things go wrong. The computer glitches. Somebody fucks around with the systems. And the zombies get out. And there's a countdown to the place being firebombed by every military in the world to prevent another zombie outbreak. Uh, it's got a nice little coder at the end of it. And it's a pretty standard, not too big budget um, zombie flick, but it's worth checking out if you like zombie flicks. Uh, it doesn't do it badly. In fact, I've got a zombie month coming up uh, this year for Martian Driving Podcast. I may well put that on the shortlist for it. Now, I've actually had a week off work because I've had a pretty bad cold, as you might hear from my throat. And so I went to one of my comfort movies. You have comfort food, you also have comfort movies. So I watched Jacques Demy's The Young Girls of Rochefort, which is one of my faves. Of course, it's a musical um, set in Rochefort in France, and it's got George Jakiris in it, Catherine Deneuve, her sister of Francois Dorliac, Daniel Dario, and Gene Kelly. It really is a joyous, fun film. I've got the soundtrack album as well on CD, and uh, that's one I drag out every now and then, even though I don't yet speak very for good French. In fact, it's still very rudimentary. I've been slacking off on my Duolingo lessons. But, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to go back and watch The Umbrellas of Shiborg. I watched that a year ago, according to my letterbox. And Umbrellas of Shiborg is a bit sadder, so I'm not really going to go there just yet. Then I'd looked at a forgotten 1950s action film set and filmed in the Philippines called Huck, H-U-K exclamation mark, which is about the Huck Rebellion after World War II when the communists rebelled in the Philippines. They'd been very much prominent in the fight against the Japanese during World War II and were very effective at um, guerrilla warfare against the Japanese and then decided, oh, shit, we might want to actually own a chunk of our country as well. But uh, they rebelled and they were overthrown eventually in the mid-1950s. But this one starred George Montgomery and Mona Freeman. It's got some nice action sequences in it, in fact. Uh, one of them set on a boat. And um, there's lots of not very well-nuanced Filipino actors with headbands and machetes and um, old-fashioned Lee Enfield rifles having a go at George Montgomery and the Anglo cast. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a bad little action. It, uh, because of the location and because of the setting, it makes it slightly more interesting than it would be otherwise. But um, And I like the fact that it's just a three-word, three-letter, sorry, title, Huck, with an exclamation mark. Uh, it really kind of gives it that 1950s feel. And if you can find any uh, posters online for Huck, you can see the kind of stuff it is. It's very much a 1950s action film. The only other thing I've seen uh, lately, and I'm halfway through it, is re-watching Remo Williams, the action franchise starter that never started a franchise, starring Fred Ward, Kate Mulgrew's in it, and uh, Joel Grey playing a Korean. Now, the, the brown face, kind of, sorry, the yellow face, doesn't really work for me, but apart from that, I kind of like it. And given what he's got to work with, Joel Grey is very good, but... And the, and the special effects makeup is superb. Nonetheless, it's still a white guy playing an Asian guy, so you've kind of got to not give it a pass because of that. Um, 1985, they should have known. Anyway, that's about all I've got for what I've been watching. Um, I'm going to take a break. 
and I'm going to play some more uplifting music to get us through these hard times. And then when I get back, I'm going to talk about the first of the two movies, Pink Angels from 1972. Stay right here with you Do all the things you want me to Oh, I 
Of course, that was Barry White with Never Gonna Give You Up. I just thought I'd do a little bit of soulful disco there for you. Uh, so, The Pink Angels, 1972, a gay biker movie. Um, there weren't too many of those in the 1970s, apart from anything Kenneth Anger may have done. But um, I'll just play you the trailer and then I'll come back and talk about why it's an interesting movie with one of the great shit endings of C-movie cinema. Arnie and Henry, the roughest, meanest pack of bikers to come down the road since the boys in the band. What in the hell is this? It's a maiden form and it's mine. Give it to me. Packets. What? The Pink Angels, a different kind of motion picture about a different kind of motorcycle gang. Behind the denims and black leather jackets, sugar and spice and everything nice. I see America, she's just around the bend. The star-spangled banner. You know, Arnie, I never knew my dad. For heaven's sakes. How come? He was always in drag. <laughs> Where you men headed? Down the coast. Los Angeles? Yeah, LA. And what are you gonna do there? Ball. What? Okay, hold it right there, fella. What did you have in mind, fancy pants? <laughs> Nothing I'd like more than to nail a few of those long-haired bastards. The Pink Angels. They rode a lonely road marked detour through a straight world. A world that wouldn't allow them to survive. Hi. Where's your broads? Would you like ten pounds of dangling fury? Black is not only beautiful, it's good. Don't miss the Pink Angels, hard riders wearing a size 10 dress. Okay, so Pink Angels, 1972 movie. I think Crown International Pictures released it, which shows it's at the low end of the market at the time. And this one is very much low end of the market. It's... um, there are a lot of stereotypes in it to be honest with you a lot of 1960s 1970s gay stereotypes um there's the sissy stereotype which if you have a look at the documentary of the celluloid closet which is a very good documentary it is on youtube as well you'll see that um harvey feistein says he likes sissies in movies he he liked it but a lot of other people saw it as very kind of cliche and a very stereotypical and a very dismissive stereotype. Now, these bikers in this movie are, for the most part, with a couple of exceptions, the sissy gay stereotype. There's also the stereotype in there that uh, most gay men were cross-dressers. Of course, 21st century knowledge says that that's not the case. But this group of bikers, and maybe they're a subculture, who knows, are not only motorcyclists, you know, bikers, but they're also gay, and they're also cross-dressers. They're on their way, travelling down the coast from San Francisco to Los Angeles on their bikes, 
to go to a, a cotillion for um, cross-dressing gay men. That's the whole story of the thing. There isn't much plot here. It looks like a lot of the dialogue and a lot of the situations were improvised. And for reasons that have to do with either a really bad batch of acid or a brain fart on an unprecedented scale, they picked the worst possible ending for this movie. Which isn't to say it's all bad news. In fact, uh, the characters, even though they are stereotypes, uh, looked on more or less in a positive way, which for 1972 was not an always a common thing. You've got to look back at uh, movies like The Detective and um, even Cruising and Freebie and the Bean and those kind of movies. There are all these crazily negative gay stereotypes in those. The, there was a, um overwhelming meme that being homosexual was the equivalent of being some kind of morally corrupt and dangerous person. Pink Angels doesn't have any of that. Pink Angels kind of goes along for this road trip with the guys. There are little bits that reference Easy Rider because that was a go-to biker movie at the time. It's got little folksy songs that are sung while the guys are are riding along on their bikes. By the way, I should name the characters as well. That's only fair. There's Michael, played by John Alderman. I said Alderton before, but it's actually Alderman. Tom Basham plays David. Henry Ollick plays Eddie. Bruce Kimball plays Arnold. Morris Warfield, the a black actor, plays Ronnie. And Robert Behiler plays Henry. So they're the bikers. And there's also a guy called George T. Marshall, who plays a psychotic army general, retired army general, clearly, who's um, behind some kind of covert operation to wipe out perverts. And we see him mostly not interacting with the bikers, but in his bunker with his secretary doing really crazy General Jack T. Ripper kind of things. Then also we have another biker group who have a couple of interesting actors um, playing the bikers in them. The first one is an actor called Michael Pataki, who I've seen in any number of films. Uh, He died in 2010, but you'd recognise his face when you see him. He was in Easy Rider, in fact. Uh, He was in Remo Williams, Playing, he played mafia guys a whole bunch. And I'll just go back on. There are some movies in the 70s that he did that were quite interesting. Um, he's in some episodes of Charlie's Angels, for instance. Eyeshot. Remember Eyeshot? It was a TV series of Joe Don Baker back in the day. Um, he played a, a cop in the Amazing Spider Man TV series, a live action one with Nicholas Hammond in 1977. Uh, he was in Airport 77, amongst other. He was also in some episodes of Happy Days. Uh, let's see what else. He was in Kung Fu, the TV series, in a couple of episodes. Did a really mo- weird movie called The Bat People, which you've got to see to believe. And a, a lot of episodic TV apart from that. So, uh, And he even did things like Bonanza in the Cades County, which was a TV series with Glenn Ford, playing a modern-day sheriff in, I think, Yuma or one of those kind of places. But anyway, Michael Pataki's in there playing the leader of um, a rival motorcycle group who can't understand why these guys don't have any girls with them. So the guys go back to a bar they'd just been to where there are a whole bunch of prostitutes and bring them out and pretend that these prostitutes are their women. And so these other bikers um, get liaise with these prostitutes thinking they're biker moles. The other person who's in the bike... Uh, the alternative bike gang is quite interesting is Dan Haggerty who everybody knows from playing Grizzly Adams he plays a biker in this one with a full beard and his hair and a bare chest and that kind of thing so 
uh, they do have a couple of sort of semi-name actors in this film. John Alderman's the interesting one, though. John Alderman is an actor who did all sorts of things. The first things I saw him in were soft porn movies back in the 1970s. Movies with classy titles, for instance, like Trader Horny. I saw him in Trader Horny. He was also in a movie I previously talked about way back in Paleo Cinema, which was Black Samson playing one of the uh, bad guys. He was also in The Black Godfather. So he did some black exploitation. He was in movies with titles like Delinquent Schoolgirls and The Swinging Barmaids. Another movie called The Boob Tube, which is a satire on soap operas. But then he did other things like he was in Starsky and Hutch, an episode of that. Um, he you know, he did. He was in a movie called Drive-In Massacre. He also did soft and hardcore porn movies under the name Frank Hollowell. But then he went on to do um, other things which were quite upmarket films. Uh, he was in the last movie, that Dennis Hopper movie, that Dennis Hopper directed. He was in The Stuntman, for instance. And, uh, and again, a lot of TV series. He actually dated back to the 1950s in TV series as well. He did an episode of Gunsmoke in 58 and things like Hawaii and I, Wanted Dead or Alive with... Uh, Steve McQueen, Steve McQueen's TV series from back in the late 50s and early 60s. And a whole bunch of other things. 12 O'Clock High, Long Hot Summer, The Iron Horse, Guns of Will Sonnet. So he had a long career playing um, usually sleazy villain-type characters and um, died at the age of 53 of a heart attack in Hollywood in the 1980s. Uh, he, He was kind of drifting into hardcore porn films at the time. But uh, he's quite a good-looking guy, you know, striking kind of um, lean, black-haired guy with pale blue eyes. And he, he was quite an adept actor as well. He could do um, the gig, but for some reason um, just didn't get the breaks. Uh, the blue eyes were a little bit kind of scary-looking, so maybe that inhibited his career. Plus, you don't know what's going on in people's lives as well. And when you've got a resume as um, varied as his, there could be some problems with casting as well. But he he does a good job in this one and kind of keeps things centred, whereas a lot of the other actors, including, um, who is it, Um, Bruce Kimball playing Arnold, who's, I don't know whether it's a genuine Liverpudlian accent or he's just doing a a kind of imitation of Ringo. He has a Liverpudlian accent and he's kind of shy and a diffident kind of character. But overall, the, the um, gay bikers are, are treated reasonably as human beings with their own um, arcs to a certain extent, much of which comes from the improvisations that the actors did. So it's not really a, a movie which has got a particularly tightly plotted um, course. They drift into various places, mostly filmed around Santa Clarita in California, and they kind of use the highways and whatever they could find on the road there and just kind of improvised around it. Um, Mostly non-professional actors. I looked through the IMDb profiles of a lot of the actors, and there's not really a lot. Um, the guy who plays the general, George T. Marshall, the only two films he did were this one, Pink Angels, and a movie I've talked about previously on Paleo Cinema Podcast, Putney Swope, the, um, the kind of satire on advertising. So he didn't. He again didn't have a, a long movie career. Whoa, that's interesting. Um. Yep, I'm just checking this out. John Alderman was also in a bunch of episodes of The Flying Nun. Uh, sorry, Michael Pataki was. 
He was in a bunch of episodes of The Flying Nun with Sally Field back in the day. So, um, yeah, so the movie's a a bit of a mix and match. It's very much a drive-in movie of the 1970s. It's got a little bit of nudity when the ladies from the bar turn up. A little bit of female nudity, no male nudity. And there's another scene really weird when two of the bikers have booked into a hotel and a um, waitress brings up uh, the, the things they've ordered from downstairs wearing only a very brief apron which um, shows off her tits and bits quite effectively. Of course, the guys aren't interested in that. But uh, there's a prolonged nude scene in there, which was probably in there to get a bit of a drive-in release. Even though it is about gay bikers, they had to throw in a bit of tits and ass to um, keep the bums in the car seats at the drive-in, I suppose. So that's um, another weird aspect of it as well. It doesn't really commit to the premise as much as, uh, say, a movie made later might have. And it keeps, uh, even though it does have gay characters, which were seen as kind of, yeah, disgusting in the 1970s. I mean, I grew up, to be honest with you, I grew up incredibly homophobic. The environment, uh, the working class environment I grew up in, there was no tolerance of gay people. Um, There's incredible kind of society-wide homophobia at the time. It was only when I got out in the world and met other people that um, I kind of overcame that. But it was a bit of an arc for me. So I very much know what it was like in the 1970s, at least in Australia, um, to have a culture which was incredibly homophobic. People my age can remember that. And um, it's only since I got out in the world and met a variety of people that I overcame that. And in doing so, I also made some mistakes. I um, once outed somebody who had, had a profoundly negative effect on. I did it totally out of ignorance. And that person um, really hates me since then. So uh, a lot of us, uh, particularly that person, have, have scars because of the homophobia I grew up with. And I'll have to wear that. But um, I, I try to do better now, and uh, I try to be inclusive and not tolerant, but accepting of all different kinds of lifestyles. But it has been a journey. It hasn't been something that um, was innate to me. It wasn't something that was part of the way I was brought up. And it's one of the reasons why I get really pissed off when people say, I was brought up to believe this, and so I believe this. If you don't challenge the things you were brought up to believe, what the fuck use are you, as far as I'm concerned? But um, just to kind of get towards the end of um, Pink Angels, I think it's a movie on a continuum from those incredibly negative gay stereotypes to the comical gay stereotypes you see in this film onto a more inclusive and accepting um, view of various kinds of sexuality that we are approaching in a lot of our works these days. Now, that then brings me to the ending of this film, which I find incredibly cruel and dumb because what happens is that the bikers reach where they're going and they all dress up in drag to various degrees of success and um, they meet up with a general and his people who at first thinks they think they're women until one of them takes off the wig and says no we're guys and then they cut to a viewpoint of the general standing on the steps of his mansion home And the camera cuts back as the uh, camera truck pulls away. And the bikers are all hung by their neck from a tree in the yard. And it's just 
It's a what-the-fuck ending in the worst possible way. Basically, what happens is the bad guys win, the homophobic military guy kills all of the protagonists of the movie. And it's one of those endings which, what the fuck? It's, this is the ultimate for me. It's the ultimate 1970s D-grade movie what-the-fuck ending. I can't think of any that's worse. And it's um, from everything I could find, and there's not a lot of information about how these movies were made and under what circumstances available. But for the most part, what I can find out is that they couldn't find an ending, so they just did that, which... um, pisses me off but again you've got to look at this movie in a historical context not because of that horrible homophobic ending but because they do actually try to have characters that are interesting and um, have their own life even though they're comic characters it is a step away from the really darkly negative stereotypes of gay people that existed in films before that. If you look at a movie like Advisor Consent where a gay bar is looked at as a seventh circle of hell, for instance, and a, a man commits suicide because of his homosexuality. And then there are movies like um, Tea and Sympathy as well. Uh, all sorts of films that really had worse, for the most part, worse viewpoints of gay people than this movie does right up until the last minute of the film, almost literally the last minute before the titles roll. And, um, I mean, there are parts of the movie I like. There's one line that I really like. And John Alderman gives it a really nice reading. I'm going to play that for you just to give you a more positive viewpoint of this film than the real bummer of an ending does. This bit is when the bikers are stopped by a couple of highway patrol cops who don't like the look of them because highway patrol cops always did that in any kind of biker movie in the 1970s. And he's John Alderman interacting with one of the cops. Hey, partner, look at this. What's in it? I don't know, it's locked. Well, I'll tell you what's in it. We got uh, about five kilos of shit, about three lids of hash, about eight ounces of cocaine, some reds, some uppers, what's some down. What's in it? Well, an eight by ten glossy of Robert Goulet. I love that line. There are two ways to see this movie, by the way, if you are interested. First one is the whole thing is on YouTube, which is obviously the cheaper option. Uh, There is another option, which is a collection that I got on Amazon called Savage Cinema, which has 12 movies in it. There's Best Friends, Hell on Wheels, Burnout, Little Laura and Big John, which I want to start off. It's got Fabian in it, and it's horrible. Dangerous Charter, Pink Angels, of course. Death Machines, which is very bad. I watched a bit of that. The Side Hackers, which is about motorbike riders. Death Riders, The Wild Rebels, Hellcats, and Wild Riders. All of which are like B and C grade biker films for the most part. Um, So anyway, I'm going to take a break. When I get back, I'm going to talk about a very different film. A remake of a French Alpha France hardcore porn movie. And that is Chatterbox starring... Candice Rialson, and also people like Rip Taylor and Erwin Corey. You are about to see scenes from a serious movie that depicts one of the most amazing medical discoveries in the history of the world. Whatever you do, don't laugh. Well, what would you do if you're... 
could all of a sudden start to talk and sing. I will never understand women. I'm their mother. Okay, not every performer could say that she's recommended by the AMA. Oh, it's just embarrassing. She doesn't want to be just another anonymous organ. I have a that can talk. She has a beautiful voice. Very nice. Yeah, Phil, I'm making a statement with this film, you know what I mean? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Dick, I'm so glad I ended up with you. Me too. Me three. Are you ladies ready? Do you serve a box lunch? This is a uh, social document. Chatterbox. The story of a young woman who has a very unusual way of expressing herself. I wonder why they call it Chatterbox. This is the climax! Amen! Chatterbox is one of those movies that's best seen if you're a 17-year-old heterosexual male. Um, it's of the yeah, it's another drive-in movie of the time and it's one of those drive-in movies that has a one joke premise really a young hairdresser called Penelope finds out that her vagina can talk and has a mind of its own that's the premise and the jokes kind of unwind themselves from there uh, most of it is, is one-liners and most of the jokes are, are one-liners and they bring in a whole bunch of kind of character actors to flesh things out a little bit uh, you've got Larry Gilman playing Dr. Pearl who is the doctor who Penelope goes to see when her pussy starts talking uh, Larry Gilman was on TV series Maud, he was in Eight and Enu- Ages Enough and a whole bunch of other things, he was also um, I believe in the X-rated Alice in Wonderland back in 1976 just a year before this one was made there are a couple of other familiar faces in there. Rip Taylor, of course, we know from all the confetti and the good jokes and the bad rug. Um, he played Mr. Joe, who is the hairdresser who runs the salon where Penelope works. It's one of those things where they get in celebrities to do a day or two of work. And, um, yeah, and he's, he does his usual stick. By the way, he's still alive too. He's 82 years old and he's still out there at the moment um all strength to him as well um he's one of those actors who while not coming out made kind of flamboyant gayness an acceptable thing on the television sets of america in the 60s and 70s uh always a lot of fun always a funny um a really kind of cool guy and apparently a very nice guy as well which is great i know he's done a couple of character roles as well as an actor and i always like seeing comedians do character roles very well there's something about them that kind of heartened me i don't know why but i really like actors in serious roles who are comedians essentially we also have professor in quotation marks erwin corey another guy who's still around he's 102 years old he had this shtick in uh the post-war years as a comedian where he was a um, world's foremost expert, world's greatest authority, sorry, on anything. And people from the audience would ask him questions like, you know, why is the speed of light what the speed of light is? And he'll come up with an absurd and long-winded explanation, which is all bullshit, but very funny, on why that is so. Um, and that, that was his shtick. And he turns up as a talk show host and does a little bit of his work as well. Um, a little bit of his world's greatest authority stuff in there so we get to see a little bit of that on the screen which is fun and uh, he was also in another movie which is like a C or D grade movie that I've talked about on an earlier Paleo Cinema podcast and that's a movie called That's Adequate 
which has all sorts of people. It's got Bruce Willis in it, Tony Randall's in it, James Coco. It's got tons and tons of celebrities. Robert Daddy Jr.'s in it as well. And it's only been released here in Australia, at least, on VHS. It never got a DVD release. Um, that's adequate. But if you can find it around, it may well be on YouTube. And he's going to pause the recording now to find out whether that's adequate on YouTube. Now, there are a couple of clips on YouTube, and there's one copy of it on VHS for sale on eBay in the United States, which shows how rare that movie is. Uh, see if you can find it via subterranean means would be my advice. But anyway, um, to get back to things, Penelope has um, a boyfriend who's a, a bit of a proto-yuppie in a sense, whose name is Ted, played by Perry Bullington. Uh, he's got the, the most 1970s look of any actor in this movie. He's one of those blonde guys with his hair parted down the middle and kind of little proto Ferrah Fawcett flip curls at the front and he's got a moustache. That tells you, and aviator glasses. So that tells you all you need to know about Ted as a character. Um, of course, the talking vagina, whose name, naturally enough, is Virginia, um, gives Ted a bit of a... Um, critique of his um, performance in the sack and Ted doesn't take this well particularly from a talking vagina and so they part and um, various things happen and uh, ultimately Virginia and of course Penelope being attached to Virginia become celebrities, they get on the talk show circuit Um, Virginia has a very good singing voice and, and tends to do songs that were in the public domain because cheap movie um, and uh, ultimately gets a film role and in the meantime poor dear Penelope becomes very miserable because everybody is talking to her vagina and not talking to her not giving her any respect and the outrageousness of um, Virginia gets her into some sexual situations that she doesn't particularly want to be in they're not traumatising in the way that they might be in real life but for her they're just not what she wants um, Virginia starts chatting up one of the customers at the hairdresser salon who's played by an actor called Arlene Martell whose main claim to fame was that she played Spock's wife in a muck time on Star Trek and she went on to do a career in, in B films as well and a number of other things but um, apart from these guys the only other person of any note in is Sandra Gould who played the second Mrs Kravitz in Bewitched she has one scene in the hairdresser shop But um, ultimately, here's what the movie is. The movie is basically a one-joke movie fleshed out with some interesting comedians and character actors. There are some very bad disco dance sequences in it which get to that level of badness where they're watchable, and they're they're very watchable, but for all of the wrong reasons, if you know what I mean. Now, the star of the film, Candice Rowlson, uh, interesting actor as well. Apparently she was um, she died early at the age of 53 of, of some liver-related complaints. And um, I've seen some obituaries from her family members and she was very well-loved. Unfortunately, she was in a lot of pain for a number of years. But she was well-regarded by uh, friends and family and uh, people who worked with her, people like Alan Arkush and Joe Dante, have had fond memories of it. So she did a job well, but because she was kind of stereotyped, as a blonde starlet her career didn't move on even though she had the chops to do it there are a lot worse actors who are still working of that vintage uh so she died in 2006 but anyway um kenistry arson's really interesting her career is fantastic the the movies she did are just really um 
good stuff of the 1970s. She was in Hollywood Boulevard, the um, Roger Corman movie directed by Paul Bartell, playing the main ingenue in that. She was in the Iger section as well with um, Clint Eastwood and George Sanders. She was in Candy Stripe Nurses and Summer School Teachers. She had a small role in 1979 in a movie I've talked about on the podcast, Winter Kills. Uh, movies like Moonshine County Express. She was on an episode of Switch, the TV series, which had Robert Wagner and Eddie Albert in it. She was also in Logan's Run, uh, the movie. Uh, let's see what else she did. Uh, Mama's Dirty Girls, the girl on the Late Late Show. She was in an episode of the TV series of Shaft. And she was in a movie, which I really should talk about in a future bad movie session of Paleo Cinema, and it kind of relates to the first film I talked about today. And that is a movie called The Gay Deceivers, directed by Bruce Kessler, which is interesting because, just give me a few moments, I'm going to cross-reference this and see if what I'm about to say is correct. Bruce Kessler, that name rings a bell. Nope, I was totally wrong. <laughs> but uh, Bruce Kessler did direct a few things like TV series and um, Simon King of the Witches, which I should do in a future podcast. And he also directed the Cold Check the Night Stalker episode Chopper with the Headless Motorcycle Gang guy. But yeah, Candice Rialson's really good in Chatterbox. She does get her kid off a fair bit, which the role definitely calls for. And uh, she was a go-go dancer in um, LA in the 60s, so she um, was a, a very attractive lady. But she also had a kind of um, innocence and warmth about her. A little bit in the way that Christine DeBell, who was in the... Um, X-rated Alice in Wonderland had that kind of sexy innocence about her. Uh, Candice Rialson had a lot of that as well. And uh, it's a shame her career didn't move on. But nonetheless, uh, I like this movie. Uh, it's it's kind of innocent. It's fun. It's got that one-note premise and it's hokey in all the silly places. Uh, it's not the first Talking Vagina movie, by the way. There were two previous to this. And I did my research, and talking vagina movies aren't something you need to research too much to find out information about. And I can tell you, in the last few days, I've watched the other two. The first one's a, an Alpha France movie from France, a hardcore porn movie. Alpha France did a whole bunch of hardcore porn in the 1970s in French, in, and in film predominantly in Paris. And as such things go, it's high-quality stuff, and it's quite imaginative in places. And so in 1975, they made a movie called Pussy Talk, which has pretty much exactly the same premise, and Chatterbox borrows a lot from Pussy Talk in some regards. Now, Pussy Talk is a kind of much more serious movie in some ways because the talking vagina takes over the life of the character a lot more in Pussy Talk than in Chatterbox. In Chatterbox, um, Penelope has her own agency. But in Pussy Talk, the woman uh, whose name is Joelle um, really does get taken over. It's almost like she goes into a coma and her pussy does takes over the body, in a sense. And um, that movie ends differently than Chatterbox as well, but there's a lot of hardcore porn stuff in there. And one of the things they find out is that the talking genital thing is contagious. It's a sexually transmitted ailment in pussy talk. And um, a man she sleeps with ends up having a talking dick. And the second movie runs with that premise and it's passed on. It's a little bit like It Follows. You know how in the horror movie of recent years, It Follows. 
you sleep with somebody and then they get followed by this ghost who tries to kill them unless they can get rid of it by fucking somebody else. This is kind of like that. In Pussy Talk 1 and Pussy Talk 2, the talking genital thing is something that's passed on from person to person and becomes a plague almost. And it's treated much more seriously and um, in, in some ways darker than it is in um, Chatterbox. They're worth seeing. If you're kind of of that common kind of mind, and, yeah, I realise that um, pornography is not for everybody and I wouldn't try to convince people to watch it if they didn't have at least an interest in it from an academic point of view. Nonetheless, it's um, it's a you know, there haven't been too many movies of that type made in the last forty years. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, talking vagina movies, really. I mean, I could see you doing it now. Yeah, yeah, you could kind of get a Judd Apatow kind of thing happening there if you really wanted to. Um, I'm sure it'd work better as an animated film than it would as a live action one, but I can definitely see the possibilities of it being, say, a Jonah Hill movie or a Jason Siegel movie or something like that. Um, it may not play particularly well in Trump's America, but who gives a shit, really? Um, nonetheless, talking vagina movies are a, a tiny, tiny, tiny subgenre. And in them, I mean, yeah, you can... Is it sexist? Is it not sexist? You can have that kind of discussion. But for the most part, um, the most well-drawn character in... Chatterbox is Penelope and not Virginia. Um, she's her own person. She's in love with her ex-boyfriend, Ted, though she does get into situations. Candice Rialson really does commit to the role uh, in a number of ways, but she is, you know, kind of... There are times when the character of Penelope has to be sort of kind of distressed and confused, and Candice Rialson plays that quite well. It's um, an absurd premise for a movie, but... Uh, in its own way, Chatterbox does commit to it, mostly through the one-liners and mostly by taking things a lot lighter than Pussy Talk did, and Pussy Talk 2 for that matter. It, um, it doesn't necessarily follow through the premise with the rigour of those two movies, but uh, this is this is basically drive-in fodder. It's, it's a kind of titillation drive-in movie. Uh, it's got a hook there that's definitely going to um, attract an audience. 1970s talking pussy movie softcore porn it's definitely drive-in fodder and um it is out on uh, i haven't been able to find it on youtube but i've got it in a four um movie box set which again is another one of those amazon ones you could quite cheaply it's called four cop movie marathon volume two it's got angels from hell which also has arlene martell in it the Naked Cage, which is a movie from the 1980s um, starring Nobody We Know. And Savage Island starring Linda Blair and Leon Askin. Oh, by the way, oh, hang on. Naked Cage does have Angel Tompkins in it. Now, I like Angel Tompkins. She was one of my teenage crushes, Angel Tompkins as an actor. But, um, yeah, that again, the 1970s kind of B, C and D drive-in movies do come out in, in quite cheap collections if you want to look for them and, and again some of them are on YouTube but they are a genre of their own they are a part of movie history like it or not they're not up there with coming home and um, cabaret and all those kind of serious films from the 1970s but they are definitely there and they were watched by a lot of people 
and they did make money for the people who produced them, which is why they kept making them, of course. But uh, anyway, that's about all I've got for this time around. These two movies don't really allow me to analyse them in depth because there's no depth there. But again, they're crazy gonzo movies. The the premises are absurd. You've got the talking vagina thing. You've got the gay bikers going to a drag ball in um, Pink Angels and that really car wreck dumpster fire of an ending to it. But um, I've got a fondness for them because I, I kind of like looking at all kinds of cinema. It's uh, Movies aren't just one thing. Movies aren't just art house films. Movies aren't just Merchant Ivory and um, people like that. There, there are wide-ranging... Um, it's a broad church, in a sense. And this little atheist is definitely a devout follower of it. But anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there because, as you may hear, my throat is starting to give out from the tail end of this bug that I've had. One of the things I have been doing lately, and I've done this today, basically, is I've been playing around with new software to do animated logos for the podcast. So I'm going to put them all up on the Paleo Cinema Cafe in Facebook. And um, tell me which one of the four you like. I think I've got four of them. So I'm going to put them all up there. And you tell me which one you like best, and I'll make the the official animated logo. I may be doing uh, um, some YouTube videos related to the podcast at some time in the future. And what I would like to do is have that as the kind of intro part of that YouTube video thing. And it's it's not something I'm seriously committed to, but it's something I may play around with. And um, I'll, I'll be putting tra- the trailers for the first 20 movies I ever did on Paleo Cinema Podcast up on YouTube with a Paleo Cinema um, header and a footer on it. So anyway, um, I'm going to do the credits, of course, as usual, with the two Kerrys added. The two Kerrys are definitely an important part of the Patreon subscriber base for the podcast. But um, again, the trailer, the credits will be in the style of movie credits to thank all of the people who've supported the podcast through Patreon. You could be one of them by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema. But anyway, in the meantime, look after yourselves. Stay warm. If you're in Trump's America, take heart. It will pass. Things will get better because there are things happening. And uh, look after yourselves. Don't despair. Don't be sad of heart. If you need to chat with me on Facebook to cheer yourself up, chat with me on Facebook. I'm open to that to a certain extent. But if you start getting clingy, I'm going to cut you loose. Um, and, and look after yourselves and have fun enjoy some good movies, enjoy some bad movies I'm about to just chill out with I don't know what yet but I will find something but uh, anyway um, as I said, the credits are here I will put some music at the end of the credits just to keep you all happy take care of yourselves and I'll be back next week with Martian Drive-In Podcast and in two weeks with another Paleo Cinema Podcast that's me out Thank you to all of the Patreon subscribers. And here are the credits in the style of movie credits to acknowledge and thank all of them. We have Tom, our focus puller, Sarah, our special effects technician, Ian, our caterer, Grant, our technicolor consultant, Claire, our script doctor, Gary, our prop master, Morris, our music director, Jan, our dialect coach, Armin, our key grip, Matt, our rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine, our scientific advisor. Julia, our casting director. Chris, our camera operator. Christopher, our gaffer. Miss Jane, the wardrobe mistress. Tansy, the foley artist. Alyssa, the location scout. Mark, our second unit director. 
Paul, our special makeup effects director, Tammy, our donut wrangler, Tim, our New York unit director, Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor, Steve, our script doctor, Dylan, our goat wrangler, Eric, our set security lead, Kerry, our second script doctor, Richard, our set photographer, and our extras, Kathleen, Mark, and David. And let's not forget Steve Sullivan, our Director of Monster Effects, and Richard C., our Transportation Co-Captain. So thank you very much to all the subscribers, and you too can subscribe at patreon.com slash paleocinema. <laughs> There's gonna be a Freaker's Bar. Yes, yes, tonight at the Freaker's Home. <laughs> yeah, and you know that you're invited one and all. Come on, baby, grease your lips, grab your hat, swing your hips, but don't forget to bring your whips. All kind of leather The greatest of the sadists And the masochist To scream and please hit me oh, hit you The FBI Are dancing with the junkies All the streets Are swinging with the funkies Cross the floor And up the wall Masturbators, baiting the masters, cross the floor. Ah! 